Welcome to the Home and Family Culture Podcast, where I discuss how families can uncover their collective vision, values, beliefs, and traditions that shape their family culture. I'm your host, Jody Chafee. In this podcast, I like to interview parenting experts who have tips for helping families shape their family culture and successful individuals who can discuss how their success influences and was influenced by their family culture. In this episode, I'll be talking to Emma Briggs. Emma Jacobs Briggs is the voice and character dancer of Fufa from Nick Jr.'s Yo Gabba Gabba. She also sings vocals on the Aquabats album, The Floating Eye of Death. She is an actress, voiceover artist, and the mother of two girls. Emma got her bachelor's degree of science in home and family living from Brigham Young University. She served a mission for the LDS Church in Hawaii in 2003 and to 2004, which is where I met her. Emma grew up in a family of child actors in Los Angeles in the 1980s and then in a combined family helping raise their adopted twin siblings with special needs rescued from Romania in the 1990s. So Emma, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to talk with you. Will you tell us more about your family growing up and how your experiences with your family helped you to develop resilience? Yes, great. So um, yeah, I was born in 1981. I was the fifth child of uh, Becky and Kimball Jacobs. And at the time they were with one of the top agencies in Los Angeles with their older kids. Um, my oldest sister, Rachel, and then there was three brothers and then me. So we were like a boy's sandwich, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, uh, she actually had, she was working all the time. And the, the second oldest, Christian Jacobs, um, they were working a lot when I was born. Um, and uh, she, they actually got their start in the 70s. She got her start in the mailbox and uncle ben which were lds church movies in mm-hmm. utah and since they like were like hey this this is working let's move the family to la let's try our hand because what's uh at the time um my my dad was having a career shift and so so they're like well what do we have to lose <laughs> and um they had met at byu's theater department in the 60s my parents so they were both inclined to acting and drama. And and anyway, and I'll say also type one personality, real yeah. high energy, uh-huh. enthusiastic. And, you know, ironically, even though I think at the time they were like, what do we got to lose? Because we're broke. Why do I go, go right. and try our hand at this? Um, they, they moved to a place that was perfectly con- conducive for their family's personalities. These type one personalities um, that people medicate. <laughs> They're just uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> these high energy, and but it was this perfect environment for my family. So I grew up feeling like we were these ge- geniuses uh-huh. instead of like there was something wrong with us because we didn't fit into the nine to five workday. Um, Interesting, which is awesome. And and I now as an adult, and I, I've uh, you know f- had to figure out how to function. <laughs> Is that, is that, but like how beautiful and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not diagnosing my family or anything. They're, they're awesome. <laughs> I'm saying type one personality as, as a really great thing. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so I, so uh, they, I had an agent in utero 
Uh And, you know, my first audition was for Little House on the Prairie as the baby Rose, the infant, (laughs) and, uh, which I didn't get, (laughs) um, but, but actually, and I, I remember a lot growing up, not getting auditions. I, Mm I, I actually wasn't, I was pretty tall for my age and Uh I had vision problems. So I had crossed eyes. (laughs) 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 Uh, I remember going out for all Cheerios commercial. And I was so excited because I was going to meet the animated bee guy, you know? Like, I thought you're going to see him. Mind, you know, yeah. My like five, six year old self, like, oh, that's so cool. I love him. He's my friend, you know, <laughs> from the commercials. I did not meet him. And I just remember my mom like taking off my glasses and going, honey, okay, just relax. You don't have to, you know, you can, because my look was more conducive to not having glasses. Oh, okay. uh, some of my older brothers, uh, like my brother Parker, he had this amazing look. Um, he, he looked actually, he, he would get confused a lot for the kid in the Christmas story. Cause that was about oh. that same era. Yeah. He looked a lot like that with the thick like glasses. It's so <laughs> just adorable, nerdy. Uh, he, he got a lot of granola bar commercials. And, okay. Yeah. He had this awesome look and, oh, Parker, he's so talented. He's, he's an artist now. And he was the art director for Yo Gabba Gabba. Okay. And he, baker on Yo Gabba Gabba and he he uh did all all the character animation and he did a lot of different voices as well anyway um but point was was that so yeah so I grew up like going out for auditions and not really getting stuff you know Uh I I did it I I did extra work for um this after school special called A Family Again that was directed Uh by Henry Winkler and Carney Wilson was in it and uh, um, Rio Perlman, Danny DeVito's wife. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh, oh, it's not Poltergeist. It was the, the, the little girl from the exorcist. I think she's beautiful. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, point is that, that was like my one job as a child. Right? So right. I really didn't do much, but my older siblings did a ton. But it was a big part of your, your whole upbringing that everybody was doing acting and like getting into, that lifestyle and that environment and that. Oh yeah. And they were like working acting. with these cool celebrities. You know, I, I remember going to a taping for, uh, for growing pains because my older sister was, had a reoccurring role. Um, yeah. Growing pains. In fact, they were going to cast um, uh, Rachel Christian and Parker, uh, my, the, the three oldest as the growing pains cast. Wow. Yeah. And there, there, there was actually, uh, they were, they were, uh, they, they, they had gotten called back but there was a mistake with the address. So they didn't make it. Oh, sad. Right. So that could, <laughs> hey, there's so many stories that we have like uh-huh. that. They're so cool. Um, in the eighties of just like, Oh yeah, it was between uh, Rachel and Jennifer Connelly for labyrinth. Right. Like, like, <laughs> like really amazing. Yeah. Experience. Interesting. Like, they all uh, went out for Beverly Hills, 90210, Rachel and Christian both did. And, um, cause they were just in that world of, you know, Rachel was on family ties. She was on different strokes. She was, she did so many cool things and uh, she was uh, just the perfect child actor. She took direction so well and uh, we, we grew up really religious and we knew, um, we knew the, uh, the Phoenixes because they were really religious, but in a different kind of a, re- yeah, they were in a yeah, different, different religion, religion. <laughs> but there, there was a similar kind of like a, this is our family's mission and yeah. a family identity and so it was interesting. And so it was really hard, like for Christian, uh, when, um, when River OD'd and stuff, yeah. like they hung out, you know? Yeah. So there was that life. And then it was very, very different 
um, when um, my when my parents got divorced, I was around I was only around four or five. Okay. And then my mom got remarried when I was about seven, and I got um, three stepsisters. Um, he had another daughter that didn't live with us, um, but mm-hmm. his oldest daughter from a different marriage, my stepdad. And um, uh, he was came from a family of 11. He was a big oh. family. My Aunt Deanne's idea to adopt from Romania, she had seen okay. this 20 on, um, on the, the ne- neglect and the over, uh, just how the orphanage, since, since the Ceausescu, the... Um, communist dictator wouldn't allow birth control and they had uh-huh. to have children, but then they didn't have the economy to sustain big families. Right. And is that where the babies like didn't ever get held? And so they would just yes die or grow up with like really poor development of social, you know, yeah, connection. Scientist, it's mm-hmm. like the only, it's like this, it's, it's really interesting because yeah, it's what happens to humans when they are, when babies aren't, interacted with right right like they were given enough food and rest but in clothing but because they weren't held they just wouldn't flourish wouldn't thrive thrive. yeah Mm -hmm. interesting would look like four-year-olds because they just weren't interacted with wow yeah yeah so when you guys adopted these kids what was their condition like they were preemies they were twins and uh, we only thought that they had, uh, we thought that we knew the boy had a heart murmur uh, in, this was 1990, 91. And um, they, they just, uh, they knew, that, you know, being preemie, they, their, their medicine was like 1940s, 1930s right. level. So, um, and that's why too, they didn't know that she was going to be having twins and she was, you know, she didn't deliver cesarean. She, I mean, they, they had no idea the second baby was coming. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, and so uh, once they got them back, and it took them two months to get them out of the country, my parents, my mom and my stepdad, because for some reason, since they already had a big family, you know, uh-huh. of like, you know, eight, nine kids living at home, um, for some reason, some lawyer, Romanian lawyer, um, took it all the way to the Supreme Court of Romania because wow. he had mistakenly thought that like our five or six bedroom home was like a five just room home or something. Oh, uh huh. That it was there was going to be a bigger space enough bedrooms, whatnot. And anyway, so he just he thought that that was not a good idea for someone that already has so many kids to be adopting twins. Even though the alternative was what? Like- <laughs> the alternative: somebody had made a documentary of Romania's forgotten children. Mm. And what happened to these, to the children that had special needs? Uh-huh. Romania was even worse. Yeah. That were neglected. I'm sure. Awful, like, you know, condition. And so, man, it, and it was actually qu- quite, um, because since my, you know, teenage years, so I was about 10 when they came home. And then all my older siblings and stepsisters, they, they eventually, you know, they were getting married and going out and going on yeah. missions. Mm-hmm. and. So like my teenage years, there was a lot of family work with, um, because so then later on, um, Allie and Andrew, that was like my family work. It was very unglamorous. Me, right. but they, they got diagnosed with cerebral palsy, okay. autism, high function. Okay. Um, so my old, my sister, she can walk, but my, like my little brother and they're 25, 26 now. And, uh-huh. and they, my little brother, it still has to walk with a walker and, mm-hmm. Um, and they're both in special needs homes now. 
Okay. Um, but they didn't get placed there until like teens because of my mom's health. But um, yeah, it was very unglamorous, you know, like yeah, uh, changing my little brother's, you know, eight-year-old diapers. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of family work. Yeah. That's a lot of, that's really busy. And so you guys were all doing this on, on top of the acting and the auditioning and they kind of stopped life. Because, um, uh, you know, I think my mom, it wasn't really something that my mom was happy about that her kids felt like this, this burden of providing for the family. Mm-hmm. It, like, even though that was kind of what happened, it wasn't necessarily, and that's ultimately really what broke up my parents' marriage. Mm. Um, was, so that's why, even though they would get, you know, different jobs, um, after, when my mom got remarried, like I know P- Parker did wonder years and nice. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, like I, they, they kind of, my mom wanted the more traditional, the husband provided and she was uh-huh. home and, whatnot um even though she wasn't really she didn't really plan to have she, she thought that I was going to be her last child so right plan on having you know the twins and and then it was so much more work than she had expected yeah yeah that they had special needs um yeah that's that could be like a whole separate topic of you know parents who who you know expecting you know you never know what to expect when you have your family like some people will do anything to have babies and never do and then there's some people that they have babies and they have the special needs and it's like whoa where do I go from here Mm -hmm. and I think that that's that's a really important thing to address is that every I think in some ways not that it compares to having kids with special needs but Every, I think every family kind of has that sense of, well, I wasn't prepared for this, <laughs> right? And, um, and, yet, and yet we have to figure out how, okay, how can we thrive as a family with, with the challenges that we have to endure? And so how is it that your family did thrive with, you know, even with these, these challenges that, that, that was presented with the unexpected growth of your family? I really think it is that mindset of how we view things mm-hmm. is actually more important than the actual trial itself. Yes. Um, from what I can, from, from my experience, because, you know, my, I think in, in the eighties with the child acting thing, um, I know that my, all my brothers and sisters were very like, you know, uh, more averse to the fame of it. And they were like, uh-huh. doing this because this is our family's work. Yeah. We're yeah. all cooperating. And this is the expectation that our parents have that we are all, that we're all coming together and we're working and we're, and they're, they're building resilience through all these interviews that they don't get. Right. And, um, and then the jobs, and then they get the, the, the highs with the jobs they do get, but, but it was a very kind of a, grounding thing and yet it was because their their faith their perspective was more on a faith thing it was more yeah. about the faith of it and the, and with that later on how hard it got with the twins in the 90s mm-hmm. that eventually that perspective kind of shifted with like oh this is so hard even though um and you know it's but even though i feel like the way that 
um, my, my mom and the way that my family thought so out of the box was very beneficial for their autism. Even though my family, because we weren't the most like routines and like, especially for, for special needs and um, you, you need those, uh, you know, that structure to, to take care of special needs kids. Yeah. But I think that we were able to compensate it for it with the fun that we had and the enthusiasm of life and of mm-hmm. that we brought in and, and they did well, but I think there was the trials and the, and that perspective, it was hard to keep up that positive, yeah. that, that positive positivity. Um, so did you feel like your mom was able to model that resilience and that grit of, you know, yeah, this is hard, but we just keep going and we keep doing the work. Yes. How did you, how did you develop that, that vision or that goal or that lifestyle of the resilience and the grit in spite of the trials? I think it was more of like, this work had to be done and, and enduring it, especially, it was interesting because moving back down in 98 um, to California, I had culture shock from Utah and um, that uh, bountiful high school where there was uh, set rules and everything. And then like, and then everything was going on at home and my mom needed me at home, but then you're also trying to be a high schooler and fit yeah. in. And, uh, and I had a bit of that, of, I think I, I got shy for a year, you know, like <laughs> everybody knew me as the Aquabat sister became popular then. And that was kind of intimidating too. And then I was kind of intimidated of like California culture, even though the, I didn't really need, if anything, California was a lot more open and accepting of just different that you, of yeah, differences. Yeah, differences. Yeah. And so, but I think it was more of like a, of, of a enduring of just, this is what happened. You know, we got to get, got to get my brother and sister out of the car and we got to go to, we got to go do our things and, and we got to get through the door, even though they're having a hard time with the wheel, wheelchairs. And yeah, it, it was, I, I'm realizing that it helped me stay in stay in the trial of it um because and endure through things yeah um even though things weren't perfect and and I was feeling depressed and I was feeling down and I was questioning things but we just still had to you just still had to help keep going you still have to keep going yeah yeah and and I'm realizing that I, I I that that translated to my um I took this Meisner two-year workshop that was uh, a lot of people ended up dropping out of. Um, it was this intense acting course, uh-huh. barely 2011, 2010, 2011-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I really had wanted good acting training, and I was so grateful that in Salt Lake, somebody was offering this and doing all that work to, to get this workshop up. And But um, Meisner is very, like, you know, taking these awful experiences of your life or not awful, but like just the, the best, you know, the, to, to get that actor's toolbox of emotions that you can yeah. draw to okay. and, from, and then realizing what experiences in your life get you in that state uh-huh. where uh-huh. What, whatever, for whatever scene you're in. And then you draw from that. Um, but whoa, it was like, 
it was so deep and so vulnerable and so painful for me. Uh Uh I really wanted to run like every week. I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? But Uh I'm realizing that I, that, 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 that translated that just that endurance of like, let's just get back in the ring. Yeah. I have to. Yeah. This is my, this is the calling. This is the family calling. This is my life calling. I just have to get back in the ring. Yeah. Even so that doing it poorly. <laughs> so those experiences really did help you to develop that grit that, you know, that, yeah, life isn't perfect, but we just keep going because it's what needs to be done. Or we, this is the choice that I've made and I need to continue to be accountable to that choice that I made and just yeah, keep doing, keep doing what. It's, so the thought that I had when we were going to, when we um, were talking about this topic that we were going to talk about this um, was that, you know, have you seen Wonder Woman yet? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I, I'm sorry for our listeners if there's a spoilers in here, but I have been thinking a lot about that and how that life has opposition always, like even inside of ourselves, we are always battling this fight between good and evil. And and like in the world, it's always going on, you know, this, there's always going to be good and evil. And, but that as a part of our doctrine is, you know, that opposition is necessary for us to have our agency. And so that if we didn't have the opposition, if we didn't have the challenges, if we didn't have the trials, if we didn't have that constant battle, whether to choose love and hate, then we wouldn't have a choice. There would only, you know what I mean? There wouldn't be an opportunity to choose. And so I just think that when we grow up having trials and, and things that um, force us to endure, then we are learning about that opposition and we're learning about what it takes to have the grit and the struggles. And, you know, the things that we endure as kids or our children endure that we don't know what they're going to grow up to do and become that, you know, you, you're taking your, your experiences growing up and the, and being a mom and the challenges that being a mom presents Mm -hmm. and you can use that as a tool to fulfill your, your mission and your purpose. I mean, we never want to wish anything negative or awful on our kids, but it's like the example that I always think of is Elizabeth Smart that it's just like, no one would ever, ever wish that for anyone. Right. But look at what she's doing now and the example and the, you know, her mission that she's fulfilling is so powerful. And, and so it's just, you know, the things that we endure, you just don't know why, what the purpose is, but you can have a choice. You can either take it and go, well, my life is just junky and I am a victim and I have these reasons to be angry and upset or sad. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we also have the choice to do something else and, and to take what we've learned and make it a part of our mission, our our personal mission to be better or to do something with it and to share it. Mm -hmm. And so like, if we, yeah, that it takes that, that choice to, to do it. 
And, um, and so I appreciate your experience of this, you know, talking about your, your siblings growing up, that the challenge that it presented, and also, you know, that, you know, most of us, we look at people who are in the, in like, show business and we go, Oh my goodness, what a glamorous existence and life must be so amazing. And, and, but at the same time, like from your experience, you go, no, actually it's really hard. It's really challenging. And there's, you know, it's not always, you don't always get the roles that you want and you don't always, there's, there's, there are challenges that people experience. And again, it's like a perspective thing that it's like your trials are different from mine, but they are almost, they're almost um, designed for us. It's like, I don't know if I can endure your trials and I don't know if you can endure my trials, but we are given what we're given. And um, there's this man in our, in our church and our, in our ward who's quadriplegic and he's been quadriplegic for over 30 years. That normally people who, who have an injury, they only live for like a decade maybe. But he has endured this for over 30 years. He had a rugby accident when he was 21 and broke his neck. And he gave a a talk in church a couple weeks ago because he's like super, super intelligent and funny and cool. And like, he's this really nice guy. Mm -hmm. And he gave a talk and in his talk, it was about trials. And he said, he's like, I don't particularly think my trial is any more difficult than anybody else's. And we're all, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? (laughs) He lives like he's in a hospital, you know, I mean, he can't do anything. He has to have a trach, you know, to, to breathe. And, but it's like when we, we're given the trials that, that we're given. And it's like you said earlier that it's about your mindset and the perspective that you have that you can allow your trials to defeat you or you can use them as an opportunity to develop and to strengthen your character and your your mindset and how do we bring that into our family culture how do you model your resilience that you've learned to your family now you know whenever your kids have challenges or um they come up against a struggle how do you then model to them this resilience? For me, I want my children to feel abundance and not necessarily that scarcity. Um, However, I let them have consequences. I feel it's really important also that I'm giving them opportunities to serve in the Mm -hmm. family and to work with the family and that I'm asking them to be picking up this or that. And I mean, and that's, I mean, you see that in all families. I mean, it's like one book I want, I need to have a copy in my home is Positive Pushing. And it talks about like, like that it's okay, you know, that with love, we can still set these expectations and, uh-huh. the, and these amazing, you know, things that our kids can do rather than like, in fact, um, and, and so he actually talks about finding that deep motivation within. Uh-huh. And I mean, we know that love is the, the best motivator. Yeah. And I, and, and that's one thing consistent that I see with my mom that she would set these expectations and then, but then she would just accept me, accept us who we yeah. are and accept the like mistakes and accept all that, yeah. but also like be like, Hey, look, you can do this and you can, right. you can, can do these great things. There's a book called The Power by Rhonda Byrne. 
Okay. She's the author of The Secret. Okay. Um, and what I love about the power is it's all about the power of love. Mm-hmm. And he, she has a whole chapter about if you're unemployed, then, then live as though, then you act as though you have your dream job. Yeah. And you do all, and, and you get, and you get dressed every morning and you do the things and you put in, you put out there that faith that you have your dream job already and how powerful that, that mindset of, of faith is like setting that intention, like works miracles. So if you were to define faith as that, you know, it's a, it's an action word, but we talk about faith, um, that it's that seed, you know, when you plant a seed in the ground, you, you don't just walk away and go, well, I planted that seed. It's going to grow. You have to do the work, right. That's going to get that seed to grow. And, and, like, and when you're, when you're doing it joyfully, it's kind of rather easy when you're like, yeah. looking f- forward to- towards what, what that's going to be grown. Yeah. It, it's not, it's not a drudgery. It doesn't have to be a drudgery, you know, just long-term perspective. Right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. That you can think, well, what is this plant going to grow up to become? I don't, I don't know, but as long as I'm doing the work and I have an idea that someday, you know, it could be an apple tree and I want to see the fruit of that tree. Yeah. And so it's like, that's, that's the way that, you know, it's not an easy work to grow this, this, these ideals and visions that we have sometimes, but, but yeah, if you have that positive attitude and you keep working and you'd keep, you know, what, what, what would I do today if I were there and if I had these goals? And you'll find those tender mercies that come mm-hmm. into your life as yeah. you're setting it, a positive intention instead of the natural, I think, human tendency to like kind of hold back in fear uh-huh. or, or blame or whatever mm. in, in those more negative frequencies, right? Yeah, when, you're, yeah. when you're setting a positive frequency, you find that like, whoa, I didn't know how I was going to water that tree, but look at the water spring up that's coming, that came from the rock. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and so those things motivate you because along the line, you know, yeah. um, cause you start to see the results. It's like, wow. Right? And that sometimes it, it could be easy to just be like, Oh, I give up. This isn't good. This isn't working. But when we push through that, we know that it's our calling. Then the resilience comes from, you know, like we've said that there's this a little hints of a reward along the way that you see, okay, this is really, this is it. But just keep going, keep trying. And like, there's a yogi. I have a song about that. <laughs> I'm sure there is. <laughs> keep trying, keep trying. Don't give up, never give up. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but yeah, that, uh, when you talked about your siblings, give, you know, not getting their auditions or, you know, the things that you endured and it's just like, you just have to find what it is and keep yeah. working at it. And you don't, you're not going to progress unless you keep working at it. If you come right. against the trials and you just quit, then what, what have you done? You know, it's like that quote by Thomas Edison that like, I didn't, I didn't fail so many times about with the light bulb. I found out so many times how light bulb doesn't work, <laughs> you know, and, but the, the learning comes in the trying and in the, and in just, just doing, You're, you right. know, if you don't, if you aren't taking steps forward, then the path will not get lighted for you. You have to keep taking the steps in order to see the light. 
I've learned a lot about this, like that you can have the trials, but that it's okay that, you know, we, we all go through those different things that we endure, but that um, it's all about the choice that we have to choose to use those experiences to our benefit or the choice to have a better attitude when we are enduring those things. And, um, and then also to, to model those things to our kids and that that's what shapes our, the culture in our homes is how, how we endure. We want to, you know, I think we want to like protect and guard our kids from having bad experiences or, you know, and we do have to do it. We should do our best. But at the same time, when our kids experience hard things that, you know, if we can help them to have the attitude or to say it's okay. And that as parents, you know, we can't shelter them from everything. And so if we want to prepare them for a life of being resilient, we, then they're going to have to experience hard things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, starting small with just complimenting them on their grit and their ability to do hard things. And acting actually is, you know, it's emotion work. Mm-hmm. And actually same kind of a thing in our family lives. There's very other few jobs um, as like a parent, we have emotion work mm. where we are helping our children understand their emotions and are regulating our emotions. And they, there needs to be that love there in order to take care of those children's needs. You know, there, it can't really be absent. It's not, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it is interesting how those are, those are related. It's, it's related that emotion work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Acting it's part of yeah. family life, family work. Huh. So that's interesting. Every parent should take an acting class. I want to thank Emma again for coming and being on the show and taking the time to tell us more about her life and her experiences and how they have taught her resilience and how she's able to translate that resilience to her own life. Our discussion reminded me a lot of this time when I heard somebody tell a story about going back and reading her old journals. And, and you know when you go back and you read your own old journals and you just cringe because you're like, oh my goodness, who was that person back then when I was writing this? But that if you go back and you read your journals and you cringe, that means that you've changed and you've grown. And so it's not a bad thing because it's evidence that you've grown, that you've developed, that you've been able to experience new things that have taught you. And our little children might read those old journals and go, wow, I'm just like my mom or or things like that. And that creates an identity and a connection between our families, our children, but also that we can grow and that our trials help our families to develop. So I just wanted to leave that little tidbit with you. Um, Thank you again for listening to the episode and I really hope you enjoyed it and that you'll go and share and and subscribe and comment and rate and all those things. You can find my show notes at www.homeandfamilyculture.com. Thank you.